please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language of this podcast are of an adult nature and can be disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is very, very adult content ahead, and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the world of the weird and the unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, I'm going to give you a little hint. Okay, maybe you don't know what that is. On today's Dark Enigma, we're going to be exploring the dark and very mysterious world of the djinn. That's right. We're not talking about that fun genie from Aladdin or even that weird, oddly blue Will Smith version that I can't quite grasp, but we'll be digging deep into the mystical and dangerous world of the djinn. As always, we will be playing our drinking game, but remember, the drinking game is only for those of you that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. So we could easily go for the obvious, you know, gin, the little play on words, because it's very funny. But I have found two very tasty temptations for you, and the link will be included as always. Now for the game part. Hmm. Every time I say Arabian, that'll be a single shot. And every time I say possession, it'll be a double shot. Please remember that I do have the utmost respect for the religion in today's episode, but you should always, always show the jinn your utmost respect. Now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. For the uninitiated, jinn are creatures made of smokeless fire that are mentioned in the Quran and throughout Islamic mythology. The two most famous jinns are probably the Muslim devil, known as Shatan, and the jinn in Aladdin's lamp from 1001 Arabian Nights. The jinn in the lamp was, of course, immortalized by Robin Williams in the Disney movie, though not very accurately, although very funnily. <laughs> Those two are powerful exceptions. Most of the time, jinn are portrayed as invisible tricksters who whisper, confuse, and change shape. Jinn are dangerous, and they are not to be taken lightly. In translation, the term jinn can be interpreted as hidden from sight or the hidden ones. In Arabic, jinn defines a collective number, and it derives from the root jinin or jin, which means to hide or to be hidden thus implying the fact that jinn are not necessarily spirits, but they are hidden in their status in time, space, and darkness. From that same root, the word gana is also derived, which refers to another place hidden in space and time, the Garden of Paradise. 
In English, genie is a synonym for jinn, and it is derived from the Latin genius, which used to refer to a sort of protective spirit which each human was thought to have ever since the moment of birth. The only resemblance between the two is the pronunciation, as jinn and genius are totally distinct entities. From the Latin genus, the modern term genetics is derived with a certain resemblance to gen, as entities believed to be capable of determining familial features of resemblance. In Arabic, though, the singular form for genie or jinn is geni, while the plural is gen. Like many other beings, jinn can be either female or male. Also, jinn can exist independently or they can attach themselves to inanimate objects, especially old objects in which they can reside and together with which they can travel. For example, it was believed that jinn could become attached to precious or semi-precious stones such as opals. In the Middle East, archaeologists have found evidence from the pre-Islamic era which suggested that during that time there was no clear distinction between spirits inferior to angels and jinn. In Northwest Arabia, archaeological evidence also has also clearly suggested the worship of the jinn. In a region near Palmyra, an unearthed inscription called jinn, the good and rewarding gods. But despite all archaeological evidence regarding the jinn worship, the Quran rejects this practice, arguing that Allah is the only one who is to be revered and worshipped. And I quote from the Quran 6:100, But they have attributed to Allah partners, the jinn, while he has created them and have fabricated for him sons and daughters without knowledge. Exalted is he and high above what they describe. But, for our purposes, we're going to focus on the jinn in the Arabian Nights and the Quran. Jinn are most commonly known from the tales contained in Arabian Nights, a writing which illustrates several kinds of jinn and spirits. According to the text, numerous spirits and entities exist alongside humans, and they interact between one another just as they would interact with humans. Out of all of these entities, the type of jinn known as Ifrit is described as physically larger than the rest, as well as the most powerful. Another kind of jinn, the Marid, is said to live in seas and oceans as a spirit of water. As the most well-known supernatural beings of the Islamic tradition, jinn are often mentioned in the Quran. They reside in the void between worlds, a parallel dimension, if you will, different from the world of humans or from any world we may know. Even though angels, humans, and jinn are the three type of sentient beings created by Allah, the latter are the most mysterious. The information regarding them is scarce, but is said that they have come into being from the smokeless flame and that they can be good, evil, or even neutral. Still, jinn can be dangerous and hostile toward humans, using every chance they get to twist the words and desires of humans against them. The Surat al-Jinn is a surah contained in the 72nd chapter of the Quran, which is dedicated entirely to jinn. Jinn are also mentioned in the Quran in the final verse of the Surat al-Na'as. 
but the classic image of jinn as wishmasters was first depicted in Arabian Nights. Now, contrary to angels, but similar to humans, jinn enjoy free will. Therefore, they can make their own choices and they can also allegedly be judged during Judgment Day and sent to either heaven or hell. Jinn usually live in high, remote areas with clouds, waters, trees, and mountains. Traditionally, they are said to live in their own communities and their existence can remain secret as they are able to travel over great distances extremely quickly. Also, Jinn can make themselves invisible to the eyes of humans. Because of all of this, stories say that humans can only get small, vague, and unclear glimpses of the existence of Jinn without fully perceiving their reality. It is said that after Allah created man, he asked angels and Jinn to bow before Adam. At that time, one jinn exerted his free will and chose to disobey the creator. Sounding kind of familiar, guys? Yes. He was the Iblis. For his disobedience, he was banished from paradise, and he became the devil under the name of Shaitan. This caused Allah to send prophets to both human and jinn alike in order to provide good counsel and show the righteous path. In this way, Muhammad was but one of these prophets and messengers. One of the differences between Christianity and Islam is that the Bible constitutes the word of God sent through the apostles, while the Quran is considered to be the word of Allah itself. As depicted in the Quran, the Iblis gained Allah's favor through his devotion, and he was granted command over the order of angels. And I quote, However, even though he had attained a rank similar to that of angels, and just as the angels, he had to listen and obey to Allah's orders. The Iblis refused to bow before Adam while stating, I am better than he. Thou didst create me from fire and him from clay. And that's from Surah 7, Al-Araf, Ayat 11:12. I know, I'm having fun with this and I'm doing my best with the names, guys, so please don't pick on me. Until Judgment Day, Allah, in his mercy, postponed the destruction of the Iblis turned to Shaitan. As for devils, the Islamic tradition states, We made the, evils, the evil ones friends only to those without faith. In Christianity, Lucifer, an angel, became Satan, the devil. In Islam, Iblis, a jinn, became Shaitan, the devil. Sounds pretty familiar, guys. When it comes to power shaitan has over men, there are two main aspects which he can exploit. The first is hubris, of course, which constitutes extreme pride and arrogance because pride is a deadly sin. We know that. The second is influence, which means that shaitan can whisper and instigate people to do evil, but it is up to each human to decide whether he wishes to follow the suggested evil path or not. In this way, shaitan lacks any kind of direct means of control over the lives of humans. His power rests merely at the level of suggestion, balanced by the possibility of choice, that is provided by free will. Partly, this explains why the name Iblis, coming from the root Balasa, means he who causes despair. In addition, the Quran argues that devils and evil jinn were created to help sorcerers who are, from a spiritual point of view, very far from Allah. 
Supposedly, sorcerers can invoke these entities, force them into obedience through special rituals, and then send them out to accomplish tasks set by the sorcerer himself or by those paying for his services. The Arab poet Kuthayir Azah of the Umayyad period from 661 to 750 BC, known for depicting his romantic obsession with a married woman, once described how he became a poet. One day, a man on horseback came toward me until he was next to me. I looked at him. He was bizarre, a man made out of brass. He said to me, recite some poetry. Then he recited poetry to me. I said, who are you? He said, I am your double from the jinn. And that is how I started reciting poetry. So we know that jinns are shape-shifting spirits made of fire and air with origins in pre-Islamic Arabia. Those who They are the inspiration for Aladdin's genie and have held space in Arab culture for almost as long as Arab culture itself. And yet, having transcended both religion and the physical world, so little is understood about the jinn. People in the West currently are more interested to learn about jihad, the veil, the status of women in Islam, and the various fundamentalist movements, writes Amira El Zian in her book, Islam, Arabs, and the Intelligent World of the Jinn. She continues, they assume the jinn is a topic better left to Disney and popular culture, or at best to anthropologists. But jinn who are part of Islam but not worshipped in it, with their free will and obscurity, have too much to teach us about a culture, a people, and their multiple religions to be forgotten. Neither inherently good or bad, jinn are amorphous entities, able to take the shape of human and animal alike. Their role in society, too, has been malleable. Jinn have served as a source of inspiration for both the most esteemed classical Arab poets in the first millennium and Disney in 1992. Both before and after Islam's introduction, which included mentions of jinn in the Quran, jinn have remained an inexplicable entity. The Orthodox scholars say you can't understand jinn. According to El Zian, pagan Arabs, which are big believers in the occult, worshipped the jinn long before Islam was introduced in the 7th century, believing that the spirits were masters of certain crafts and elements of nature who had the power to turn plots of land fertile. Jinn are believed to both interact with humans in our reality and lead their own lives in their own separate realm. As spiritual entities, the jinn are considered dual-dimensional with the ability to live and operate in both manifest and invisible domains. Jinn's influence has been widespread both religiously and culturally in pre- and post-Islamic Arabia. They can talk or otherwise communicate with people, though some, like poets, are more likely than others to be hit up by the jinni. Ancient Arabs, known for their affinity for poetry, even coined the term shari or shair. I know I'm butchering that. I'm so sorry meaning an Arabic literature poet who was supernaturally inspired by jinn to designate poets like Kuthyar Azah. Poets in pre-Islamic Arabia often said they had a special jinni that was their companion. Sometimes they would attribute their verses to the jinn. 
In the early 7th century, when the Islamic prophet Muhammad began spreading the word of the Quran, he shared multiple surahs, or verses, that mentioned jinn, including one named entirely after the spirits. Belief in jinn has been a part of the world's second largest religion ever since. LZN argues that one can't be Muslim if he or she doesn't have faith in jinn's existence because they are mentioned in the Quran and the prophetic tradition. And while, of course, not all who identify as Muslim subscribe to every word of the Quran literally, if LZN is right, it means that around 1.6 billion people in the world believe in the jinn. Interesting, right? Jinn are also considered part of Al-Ghahib, or the Unseen, an invisible entity with abstract definitions. Belief in them manifests differently between communities and individuals. For instance, while some Islamic scholars agree that jinn are capable of possession, others do not. Still, in both the past and present, stories of those possessed by jinn are not hard to find. Exorcisms, which can involve reciting the Quran over a person or, more rarely, physically beating the jinn out of them, are performed in some circles on those thought to be possessed by jinn, despite being condemned by mainstream Muslims. People who partake in the latter believe that the pain is not felt by the person who the genie occupies, but the genie themselves. And while reading the Quran is a popular exorcism method, jinn's links to possession predate Islam. The Arabs of pre-Islam invented a whole set of exorcism procedures to protect themselves from the evil actions of the jinn on their bodies and minds, such as the use of beads, incense, bones, salt, and charms written in Arabic, Hebrew, or Syriac, or the hanging around their necks of a dead animal's teeth, such as a fox or a cat, to frighten the jinn and keep them away. In Arabic, the word majnun means possessed, mad, or insane. Literally, it means to be possessed by a genie. Despite the stories of possession, jinn are remarkable in their propensity towards neither good or evil. In Christianity, demons and evil spirits appear as entities carrying out Satan's maleficent wishes. But neutral spirits like the jinn, they just don't have a place in Christianity. Elzion believes that jinn have been robbed of the scholarly devotion they deserve, in part because they complicate the narrative of monotheism, what it means to believe in the existence of intelligent spiritual entities without necessarily de- demonizing them. Jinn, different than both an angel or the devil, oscillate between good and evil, making them all the more relatable. Hey, they can fuck up, they can be pious, they can help us, they can hurt us. As shown in folktales from 1001 Nights, commonly known in English as Arabian Nights. In one of the tales, The Fisherman and the Genie, the inspiration behind Disney's Aladdin, a fisherman pulls a bottle out of the sea. When he opens it, a genie appears. Angry to have been trapped in the bottle for centuries, the genie tells the fisherman their plan to kill them. But after the two exchange stories, the genie changes his mind, instead bestowing the fisherman with a life of good fortune. Fluid in form and interpretation, jinn not only possess and converse with us, but they can also fall in love or even in bed with humans. I'm just going to say, if this prompts somebody to tell me a story about being fucked by a genie, oh my god, send me that email. Please. Okay. Pre-Islamic poet Ta'abata Sharan 
once wrote about sleeping with a genet, the female form of gin, in a poem called How I Met the Ghoul. I lay upon her through the night, that in the morning I might see what had come to me. Behold, two eyes in a hideous head, like the head of a cat, split-tongued, legs like a deformed fetus, the back of a dog, clothes of haircloth or worn-out skins. According to Elzian, the ability or desire to have sex isn't all jinn have in common with humans. Like us, jinn eat, drink, sleep, procreate, and even die. She says, though their mortal lives can extend for thousands of years, and yet, while we can relate to the spirits on many levels, the consensus remains that we cannot fully comprehend the jinn, although we can try. So, we're going to take a little break here and let all you've learned about the jinn sink in deep, deep down into your soul. And when we come back, I have a few stories of some interesting encounters with the jinn to share with you. So, make sure you join me after the break. Welcome back, my heathens. I'm so glad you came back for more deliciousness and debauchery with the gin. As I stated before, you do have to have a deep respect for the gin, And I do have a few stories to help hammer home that thought for you. Although I will tell you that I am recording this at night. And so far, there have been some very weird things that have been going on while I'm recording this. Like, literally, I am alone in my home and something is brushing up against my foot. I have no idea what it is. I have stopped and recorded like three times. I can't figure it out. I think the gin are fucking with me. But that's okay because we had a little discussion during the break. And I told them it's cool if they want to fuck with me. Just don't fuck up the, re- the recording, okay? All right. And of course, you know, there's been police sirens going off, which is really weird because like I live in a really, really, really quiet neighborhood. So it's very weird. So just to share that with you. So don't even talk about the gin because you fuck with them. They will fuck you right back. All right. So like I said, I've got a couple of stories for you. Hopefully you enjoy them. The first of which comes from a listener in India. I was asked um, not to say their their name, but I did ask them if they would share their story with me. Um, And I did. I was I was told that I could I could use their story on the condition that I did not use any names that could point back to them. So hopefully you guys will enjoy this story. And this is from a listener in India. And here we go. This is a real-life incident about a relative who dabbled in the black arts and paid a very high price for it. My sister was married to a Muslim, and his aunt was highly interested in mastering certain practices mentioned in the Quran, which, if done correctly, can allegedly give you a lot of powers. Muslims believe in the concept of jinns, which are powerful supernatural entities, and there are good as well as bad jinns. There are surahs, or chapters, in the Quran, which outline the procedure for capturing and enslaving these jinns. Apparently, it is a very dangerous procedure, as it has to be performed by the person when he or she is alone, and the complete procedure stretches over several days for a few hours every day. Obviously, the jinns are not very happy when a person tries to perform this ritual, and they will try their best to scare that person. 
Getting scared and or leaving the procedure halfway through is one of the worst things one can do, as failure to complete it will lead to the death of the person or result in him or her becoming mad or possessed. Therefore, only a brave-hearted person who has enough faith in himself and God should ideally attempt this. Or maybe not at all. That was me. Back to the story. Even after the ritual is successful, successfully completed and the person has managed to capture a djinn, he or she has to exert a lot of control as otherwise the djinn can turn against its master and kill him or her. Oh, because that's lovely. One has to read the namaz five times a day, keep raza, which is a fast, and observe other strict religious disciplines to keep the djinn in control. The djinn will implicitly obey its master and do whatever is asked of it. As it is a supernatural being, the master will no doubt become a very powerful and rich person, but he, she is expected to use the powers for the benefit of others. Now, of course, the writer tells us that they have learned from their Muslim friends, and hopefully other Muslims out there will tell us if, if what she says is true. Coming back to the story, this lady, my brother-in-law's aunt, was somehow fascinated with this ritual and wanted to perform it. All this was about 30 or 35 years ago, when she was quite young and nobody knows why she wanted to get involved in something so dangerous. Maybe her youth, her naivete, made her oblivious to the risks, or she was bored and wanted to do something exciting. Or maybe she craved for the powers that would be hers once she completed the rituals. Because I know when I'm bored, I call on Jen so that I can, you know, not be bored. Okay. Whatever the reason, she did not inform her husband, as he would have certainly forbidden her from doing it. And she practiced, practiced it daily when her husband was away for, for work. At first, everything went smoothly, but gradually she started encountering paranormal phenomena, such as seeing shadows and hearing whispers all around her, smoke or mist pouring in from everywhere and shrouding her, unbearable changes in temperature, both hot and cold, so on and so forth. Though she was frightened out of her mind, she continued her pursuit until she crossed the point of no return, when these events intensified. She started seeing demons all around and hearing their frightful screams and whispers. To cut the long story short, one day she could bear it no more and fainted out of fright in the middle of the ritual. This part of the story was coaxed out of her later by her husband and other relatives, but she was often incoherent and there were huge lapses in her narrative. When her husband came home and saw his wife lying senseless with the Holy Quran in her lap, he at once guessed what she had done. He had, however, no idea how far she had gone. She suffered from high fever for several days and was almost at death's door more than once. Needless to say, the procedure was disrupted and she was never able to complete it. When she became well again, her family members noticed a huge change in her behavior. She used to be cheerful, friendly. Now her demeanor changed to cold and calculating, even sinister at times. Ooh, hello. Am I possessed by a djinn? Because I'm cold and calcul calculating and even sinister at times. Okay, back to it. She would no longer laugh and enjoy with other women of her age, but sit silently brooding for hours on end. Seriously sounding like a teenager. That's all I'm going to say. Often her family members would catch her glaring at one of them malevolently. Okay, Thanksgiving, all I'm going to say. She would lapse into periods of insanity, and then she would order others around in a male, guttural voice. Once her mother-in-law had the shock of her life when this lady assumed the voice of the old woman's late husband and ordered her to fetch a glass of water. 
Even her husband and her children were scared to be alone with her. Because, I'm just going to say seriously, she might have been on the rag. Because that's pretty much terrifying. Okay, back to the story. On one occasion, my sister was alone late one evening and she was waiting for my brother-in-law. When this lady walked into her house and announced that she would stay with my sister until her husband returned. As many of my brother-in-law's relatives, including this woman, lived in the same building, this was not an unusual practice. But my sister had only been married for a few months, was pregnant, and she had heard about this story from her husband. Needless to say, she was scared out of her mind and quite relieved when her husband returned very shortly. Now, our, our listener heard about the incident about 19 years ago and has been many years since her brother-in-law had passed away. She doesn't know what happened to the unfortunate lady and if her strange behavior still persists, but I'm just going to say it's interesting to note that in doing the ritual, she now has the behavior has changed and things like that. It sounds an awful lot like a Christian exorcism. And it's so interesting to see how closely the two religions actually coexist in that realm. I mean, it's interesting. All right. I know that got my blood pumping. So for our next story, I tried to pull one from an antiquities forum and I found this one and I hope you guys like it. So it is a traditional story and I did pull it from uh, an antiquities forum. Um, So this is a traditional and of course it's been translated. So the wording might be a little bit off. There was a man who went to his village masjid to pray every morning. The masjid is on a dirt road and the front door leads directly into the prayer area. One morning when he went to pray, he found no one else there, so he prayed by himself at the front of the room. While he was praying, he undoubtedly felt a presence behind him, as if there were people standing behind him. Furthermore, he felt as if there were a bright light shining behind him. After his prayer, he quickly turned around to find that the room was empty just as he had entered it. That same day, he ran into a friend of his who was like, Hey, I saw that there was a huge turnout at prayer today. I walked by the masjid and through the front door I could see rows and rows of men all dressed in white. Cool, right? I know, that was kind of, a. I don't think that one was really a traditional story. I think that just might be a story that they put together for it. But, alright, so... This one is definitely traditional, and it is an older story, so again, I, I'm, I'm going to try my best. You've heard the story of the shoe cobbler, right, who was working the night before Iyad, and was very late and closed up shop. He went down an alley or something and was lost. A man came up to him and asked if he needed help. The shoemaker looked down and saw that the other man had pig feet and ran. He was running when another man asked if something was wrong, and the shoemaker told him that he had just met a djinn. The other man was surprised and said he was going to help them when the shoemaker, shoemaker looked down at the man and saw that he too had pig feet. So then he ran and ran, and the djinns were following him. He got home and saw something white at the doorway and ran inside and locked the door. He told his wife what happened, and she said that she was sure she had locked the door. What had happened was that a good Muslim djinn had opened the door for him. I like the way that they do that. So it's two bad ones have pig feet and the good one opens the door. I like that. That's that's kind of cool. All right. The last story that I got was um, because, of course, you know, we have a lot of U.S. troops that are stationed in the Middle East. And I thought it would be nice if we pulled one of their stories. So 
Another possible dealing with Jin was relayed by a U.S. soldier deployed to a place called Forward Operating Base Endurance in Iraq, which was more or less composed of just some simple tents and airplane hangars that had been taken over from Iraqi forces. One feature of the camp was a sturdy concrete bunker that was fully equipped with metal blast doors. At some point during the deployment, the witness started a relationship with a female soldier and they chose this bunker to have their private meetings because it was secure with only one way in or out. And there was also the fact that since the camp's noisy generator was situated just outside, they could immediately hear if anyone opened the blast doors. However, the bunker trips would not last long after the two had a very strange encounter there. The witness explains... Here is what stopped the bunker trips. Well, about the second night on, Sarah would wake me in the middle of the night telling me she was hearing something inside the bunker with us. At first, I attributed the noise she was hearing to hedgehogs, as that part of, that part of Iraq is, well, lousy with them. I shrugged it off until I heard the noise. There was no doubt, they were footsteps. The night before the last night we stayed down there, I awoke to whispering coming from the corner, which was followed by footsteps that approached my side of the bed. I awoke Sarah and reluctantly turned on my flashlight, fearing what came next, but there was nothing. No body, no footprints, and worst of all, the blast doors were closed, just like we left them. The last night started with Sarah warning whatever was down there that we were not in the mood to be messed with and that we just needed sleep. We both fell asleep as we reassured the other we were just hearing things. Again, that night Sarah woke me and we sat there in total darkness listening to whispers coming from the corner. Two different voices. Followed by footsteps approaching our bed and then our bed violently shook for just a couple of seconds. And then a tremendous sound as if a metal plate had just been dropped next to the bed. In our panic, it took me a good 45 seconds to locate the flashlight, but once on, there again was nothing with us. No footprints, no evidence of what made the loud crashing sound, and that was the last night in our bunker. And with that, my dears, we have come to the end of our episode, and I do thank you for joining us today. We hope you do take some time to reach out to us and share your thoughts on what you think about the story. And hey, if any of you happen to get possessed by a djinn, by all means, email me. And if you are possessed and have sex with a djinn, oh my god, email that too. You can reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you've got some suggestions for future shows, or if you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line. On that note, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you for joining us on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time. And I'm going to lead you out with the same thing I led you in. Do, do. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.